0: Hello and welcome to Our UFOs Reel with T.L. Keller. This edition of Our UFOs Reel is brought to you by the Total Novices Guide books. I'm T.L. Keller, author and former aerospace engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, British Aerospace, and Douglas Aircraft, among others. On this program, we'll be looking into the myths and realities of unidentified flying objects, what most of us call UFOs. Why do people continue to report sightings of UFOs? Why do they report abductions, crop circles, and other highly strange events? All opinions expressed on this show are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of webtalkradio.net. And by the way, if you're a skeptic, or you've had a UFO experience of your own and would like to appear on this show, at the end of the program, we'll announce how to contact us. So strap yourself in and buckle up. You're in for a ride of your lifetime. Hello, Dr. Robert Farrell. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. What yeah, my, got you uh, interested in UFOs?
1: Well... Uh... Uh, look, let me give you a little more history on my education. I, my undergraduate is, is mechanical engineering. Uh
0: huh. Right.
1: And then I got an MBA, and then I went on and got a, a doctor of engineering in plastics. I see.
0: Um,
1: in my industrial career, <clears throat> I worked for about 20 years designing equipment for the plastics industry. So I, I applied my mechanical engineering, and um, I had worked up to <clears throat> vice president of engineering and sales and marketing, I should say. And then I got the letter from Penn State. They were starting a plastics program, so I decided to make a career change, and I spent 15 years there teaching plastics. And while I was there, I got my doctorate in plastics. So that's why I ended up with a degree in plastics. I see. My interest in UFOs uh, extends back so far to infinity that I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) All all I can say is uh, at some point in my life, I, I concluded, as many people do, that it's simply logical, as Spock would say, that uh, there's other life out there, mm-hmm. um, given the huge number of stars. And, of course, st- astronomers now think that they might for- find more planets in our galaxy than there are stars. So so there certainly are a number of planets out there, and the, the statistics would, would say that there are billions of planets capable of supporting life. And uh, the, the, the time history of stars, you know, our sun is halfway through its lifespan. There's other stars that might be a couple billion years older mm-hmm. and would have planets a couple billion years more advanced. Therefore, there's got to be life out there that's more advanced than us. And certainly they would have learned how to traverse the galaxy because we're on the verge of that. And uh, those are the machines that we see. These, these guys are coming to visit mm-hmm. and they come from all over.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Very good. We're uh, delighted to have you here on this show. You know, speaking of the show, uh, it, uh, the title of the show asks a question, and the question is, are UFOs real? Uh, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, definitely they are, and I've been spending, since I retired, I've been spending most of my time trying to convince the general populace that UFOs and ETs are real.
0: Why is it that you think it's so difficult for our scientific community to accept that these beings might be coming here and then be willing to actually speak out about that? The only one that I can think of that's recently done that was uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking and, uh, of Cambridge, and he seems to be the only one who's made a recent, relatively recent comment about that. What do you think is the issue here?
1: Well, first of all, I don't consider Hawking as a a ufologist. I mean, he may be a brilliant physicist, but I don't think that qualifies him to really comment on ufology. Um, But I I was in in academia long enough to know and have talked to astronomers. Um, You know, if you ask an astronomer, do they think that there's other life out there? And almost 100 percent will say, yes, there's got to be life out there. But uh, if you say, okay, well, then if there's life out there, do you think they might be here visiting us and flying around in these magnificent machines? And uh, 5% might say possibly, and the other 99% or 95% would say, no, I don't think so, because the distances are just too great. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the distances that's kind of messed up their mind. They've got to learn to think outside the box a little bit.
0: Don't you think that might be an issue with scientists in general that uh, they'll only go along, by and large, with the accepted um, scientific uh, paradigm and that uh, changing that uh, uh, paradigm would be a major effort for the scientific community uh, as opposed to, let's say, the engineers who um, might be a little bit more open-minded about this.
1: That's probably true. I think they, they tend to get locked into conventional wisdom, uh, that, that's what they do. you know, they, yes. they analyze things and, and prove everything. And so they're locked into conventional wisdom. and conventional wisdom says, well, if you want to go out into space, you build a rocket ship that uses a chemical rocket or some other kind of uh, impulse device. Maybe if you're really sophisticated, you might you might throw out uh, ions as, as a means of creating an impulse force. And, and that's their thinking. And certainly, with that kind of propulsion, we are limited. I don't think we're ever going to escape our solar system unless we go beyond that. We need a completely different approach, which is what the UFOs are using. That's, yes. a gravi- that's gravitational field propulsion. Mm-hmm. That is the only explanation that I can come up with that explains how UFOs have been able to be clocked at 100 g accelerations. Mm-hmm and make near right angle turns. It's the only explanation. I I I agree. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure that a lot of uh, scientists have thought that far, you know. Yes. There are are some, but I think most of them are just, like I said, they're locked into conventional wisdom with conventional rockets. You know, they're off busy studying some other thing, and they might read about some rocket engineer who says, well, this is what we're going to need to to go to Jupiter and it's going to cost a billion dollars and it's going to be bigger than the mountain, you know, that kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Right, right. You know, uh, my contention is that there are two types of UFOs uh, that are real solid objects. Uh, And that is that uh, these uh, are devices that are manufactured or should we say fabricated on other planets in other parts of this galaxy and maybe other galaxies as well. And then the second type of UFO, in, in my opinion, are the UFOs that we manufacture right here in California, and they're manufactured by our uh, three major aerospace companies under uh, contract from the U.S. government. Now, what do you think of that uh, theory?
1: Certainly possible. Uh- When I became convinced that uh, UFOs use gravitational field propulsion, and I I came to that conclusion maybe 20 years ago, um, as I approached retirement, my plan was to actually try and figure out how they do that. How do you create gravitational fields? And uh, I, I visualized that I'd be studying more physics in order to find that out. I ended up getting distracted and and uh, being assigned a different mission, and that was to educate people on UFOs. So I I didn't really get all the extra physics courses that I thought I might. But nevertheless, I'm, I'm learning about about that um, through my contacts. Uh, and uh, it it now, and I don't know why I didn't think of it a long time ago, but. Most people, when you talk about gravitational fields, they think about, oh, well, it's going to take a particle of matter to create a gravitational field. And to create uh, a field as strong as the Earth's field is going to be a huge amount of matter or something. And they didn't realize, and they don't realize, uh, that uh, even Einstein, back in 1917, 1915 era, uh, came to the conclusion through his uh, field equations that it's possible to create gravitational fields Um, with electromagnetic fields. In other words, there's a relationship between the two, and and that's, in fact, what led him to believe that a strong gravitational field would interact with an electromagnetic field in the form of a beam of starlight and deflect it, and and that was proved by Sir Arthur Eddington in 1919. So there is that relationship. And in 1934, R.C. Tolman um, wrote a textbook. He was a professor at Caltech, and he wrote a textbook called Relativity, Cosmology, maybe it was Relativity, Thermodynamics, and Cosmology. Anyway, those three words, I think, in that order. And in one of the chapters, he, he derives a relationship and proves that light, and he called it a pencil of light, because back in 1934, they didn't have lasers. But a pencil of light um, is actually twice as effective as a particle of matter in producing a gravitational field. <laughs> And then, more recently, um, last year, as a matter of fact, it was a paper presented where a researcher had, had done some experiments and suspended uh, a mass inside a controlled environment and observed that the mass was drawn toward a laser beam, indicating that there was a gravitational field associated with that that light, and. Uh, there's been some work done by Dr. Eugene Patklettenhoff in Finland at the, uh, I forget the name of the institute there, but anyway, um, he's been doing some work and actually creating what I think is uh, negative gravitational pulses. Uh, he, he didn't say they were negative, but they certainly act like they're a negative gravitational pulse. And so, so people are creating gravitational fields. And if if I can understand that with just my limited amount of research through the internet, uh, I gotta believe Boeing and and uh, the Skunk Works out in California came to that conclusion a long time ago, and they probably have a machine that actually works with gravitational propulsion. I would not be at all surprised. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think about the uh, work of uh, T. Townsend uh, Brown uh, back in the twenties and <laughs> uh, and thereafter, actually? Yeah. He and, oh, um, well, let's see, what was his name? Um, it was another researcher associated with uh, Brown. Uh, can't remember his name. Hutchinson? Uh, yeah, no, it was um, uh, B-Field. It, oh, b yeah. They came up with the, it was a Dr. B-Field. Yeah. It was B-Field-Brown effect, I believe is what they called it.
1: Right, and, and I, I guess I was never quite convinced that it wasn't Corona win, but I guess they, they proved that it wasn't. Um, the Navy so,
0: seemed to think it was uh, quite convincing, <laughs> at yeah. least in the early fifties.
1: Yeah, and I did try to research that, and I even contacted the university in Ohio that he used to work at, and I reached a dead end.
0: <laughs> uh huh. Well, the but, reason why I brought that up is yeah. uh, that was a, a form of electrogravitic uh, propulsion, uh, as opposed uh, to uh, uh, your suggestion that uh, a laser beam would be able to be used. Uh, do you have any um, issues that there might be several different ways of of achieving uh, faster than light uh, travel?
1: Well, um, if uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to Petrov's experiments, where he's actually measured the speed of these uh, these gravity waves that he's produced, these gravity pulses, uh-huh. and he's measured them, and they're 64 times the speed of light. Uh, and then someone who uh, I've been corresponding with and who's in the loop with Pat uh, <clears throat> said, well, you know, if, if you're creating a negative gravitational field, then according to Einstein, the speed of light in that field is faster than the sea that we know of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, maybe if you're propelling yourself inside this negative field that you're creating, uh, and you're accelerating away from the field, free-falling, if you would, away from that field. So you don't really feel any sensation of accelerating, but you are. You're accelerating away from the field that you're creating. And that creates a little problem in my mind is how can you fall away from a field that you're creating? But, but that's another issue that I haven't resolved. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, if you put all that together, uh, who, who knows? Maybe you can travel faster than the speed of light. And what happens under those conditions? I mean, according to Einstein, you know, you have the dilation, time dilation, and in fact, I count on that in my one of some of my arguments for the ability to travel long distances. I make mm-hmm. a point that when we do have a craft that it can accelerate in hundred G's, and perhaps they do out in the skunk works, I don't know. But once you have that craft, you could you could uh, if you accelerated a hundred G's. Um, you could get to the moon in, um, what did I figure,
0: 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, yeah, well, I was not yeah. very, <laughs> it wouldn't take 20, very long.
1: Well, not very long, and you can go to Mars in 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And this whole issue of uh, the problems with zero gravity and the effect that it has on the human body is not an issue anymore because you're not out there that long. You're, you're out there 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And, wouldn't
0: you uh, also be carrying your own gravitational field with you?
1: Yes, that's the interesting part. I don't understand how that works. It's like... It's like picking yourself up, you know, reach behind, grab yourself in the butt and pick yourself off the floor.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I can't visualize that.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, uh, whatever G's you might be uh, pulling in in the sense as it relates to Earth, it wouldn't make any difference since you had a gravitational field uh, around you, Uh, it strikes me, so... It's traveling yeah. with you. Yes, yeah. it would be tra- traveling a lot right along with you. And it strikes me that that's how some UFOs can make these 90-degree turns right, uh, right. without uh, being crushed inside.
1: Sure. And they just point the field in whatever direction they want to go. And that's, it, sometimes it's easier to think of a positive field. So you're falling into it. And mm-hmm. you just now you fall in that direction. But mm-hmm. you're free-falling. You have no sensation of acceleration. Right. You could be doing 1,000 Gs and you wouldn't have any accel- any sensation of acceleration. Exactly. And uh, if you extrapolate this and bring in the time dilation, which probably is not a big factor in uh, traveling through our solar system because you're not you're not ex- accelerating long enough. But if you decided to go interstellar, uh, you could travel out 40 light years uh, in, in what would seem like you, to the occupants something like uh, a month. Mm-hmm and uh, you'd be out there 40 light years you turn around you come back and so you thought two months elapsed and you are surprised to find out that everyone on the earth is 80 years older you know that's a form of time travel
0: <clears throat> that is a form of tra- time travel uh in in fact you know some some uh individuals believe that um these extraterrestrials or alien beings come here <clears throat> through uh, other dimensions some say uh, through time travel some th- say through uh, just a, a higher uh, technology involving just exactly what we have been talking about here what is your uh, uh, sense of that
1: I vote for the latter uh, first of all you understand my mission and, and it 's very strange to feel compelled to do something but I have been felt I have felt compelled that my mission is to get the general layperson to believe in UFOs in ETs. Don't ask me why. I don't know. It wasn't my plan, but that's what I'm doing. Now, in order to do that, it's important that I be able to explain all these phenomena that people see UFOs do using traditional physics and science and maybe throw in a little bit of relativity, but things that they can understand just based on a high school education. Mm-hmm. Now, if I start talking about interdimensional travel or time mm-hmm. travel uh, mm-hmm. right away, it's like, "Oh, okay, right, so you need that." I can explain all that stuff just using traditional physics. Mm-hmm. and I think it's important, and, and that's always my first attempt to, to explain. If you present me with something, my first, my first cut at it is to see how I can explain it using traditional physics. So I don't go with interdimensional. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't prove that, that that interdimensional is wrong, but I I uh, I, I opt for just the, these guys are using the same physics that we use. They just understand them a little better, and maybe can apply things that we haven't learned about yet. But they aren't violating any of the laws of physics that we know of.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Do you uh, feel that uh, these beings have in fact uh, had crashes uh, on Earth? Here, uh, I'm thinking of. Um, Oh, uh, some of the crashes in Arizona, New Mexico, um, in Europe. Yes, they they do uh, crash. Um, You believe that's true? Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, I I lecture on this, and one of the questions I ask people, okay, why did they crash? And I ask people, somebody from the audience, please tell me, why do you think they crash? And nobody raises their hand. And I say, was anybody (laughs) in the military? And maybe one person will raise their hand. And and. But he doesn't have an idea, and I say, well, well, how about this? How about if they were built by the lowest bidder?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think the engineers in, in the audience would appreciate that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Great deal.
1: I don't think that's the real reason. Uh, I think, I believe that they're creating gravitational fields by manipulating electromagnetic fields. Mm-hmm. Now, you might say electric fields, or you might say magnetic fields. I'm going to say electromagnetic fields. And by the way, there was a paper I'll talk about in a minute by some gentlemen, it was a peer-reviewed paper that was presented in 2007 at a joint conference on propulsion in Dayton, Ohio, and it was an AIAA paper. Uh, if you understand what AIAA is? Yeah, it's, it's
0: the yeah. American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Exactly.
1: Peer-reviewed paper, and I can give you the number of it if you want to research it, And um, these two gentlemen, they're both uh, Romanians. One's still in Romania working for an aircraft industry over there and the other one is working in Washington or Baltimore. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's doing, but I suspect it's secret stuff. But anyway, uh, they presented a paper and um, as I said, it was peer reviewed and was published. And in their paper, uh, they were talking about creating a craft that could uh, generate gravitational fields. And the way they would work is using parallel plates uh, that had reflective surfaces between them and spacing those plates one-half wavelength apart. And that depends, of course, on what frequency you're going to use. If you're using microwave as a form of electromagnetic energy, then then, uh, I think we're down around a half an inch or something. But um, if you're using visible light, then, then we've got to get into nanotechnology to build the thing. But anyway, if you had a series of panels made of these plates, and as the light is bouncing back and forth, it's shedding gravitons. Now, people say, well, what's a graviton? Don't ask me. I don't know. But that's one theory. As in, to,
0: in theory, it's uh, yes, it's, yeah, a it's a fundamental particle, particle in, in gravity. <laughs>
1: right. Uh, it, it could be related to the gig's particle or the God particle or whatever. I don't know. Nobody really knows. That's the thing. Nobody knows what produces gravity. But one theory is there's these things called gravitons. And so in th- these gentlemen's proposal, these uh, photons bouncing back and forth, uh, gradually are, are every time they you know, make a, a change in momentum, they release a, a graviton. And so now you have this sandwich structure that's producing a gravitational field and you build your craft with a series of these panels and as you you can kind of sequence the operation in order to control the vector of the force in the direction that you might go this is a serious paper presented back in 2007 Mm -hmm. whether anybody's tried to build this or not i don't know but that's again it's they're using electromagnetic energy to create gravitational energy And, and in my my novel the first novel i wrote one of my characters is an astrophysicist, and he's explaining to the, the colonel, who's overseeing this project he's on, how they work. And he, he just says, "I think," he says, "I think they're uh, <clears throat> manipulating the electromagnetic fields in order to create gravitational fields." And I'll I'll stick by that today.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> but, but I, you asked the question: Is it possible other methods could be used? And I think there are. We don't know. But, I mean. A lot of researchers seem to be coming up with uh, some effects that sure look like they're creating a gravitational field, you know, like Pud How mm-hmm. How is it that he's creating this negative field? Uh, he originally started off, he's, he's a material scientist. I'm not sure if you know who he is, but he's a material scientist. He's not a researcher. I mean, he's not a, a theoretician. He's a material scientist, and, and he's been spending most of his life developing super, uh, ceramic superconductors. And they were playing around with this, Ceramic superconducting disk, I think it was like four inches in diameter, spinning at a very high rate, like 30,000 RPM, cryogenically cooled, suspended in a magnetic field, and they observed an effect of the, uh, above this disk that, like he said, it shields the gravitational field. That's the way he reported it. In other words, mm-hmm. if they suspended a mass over it, it would weigh less. And I'm thinking that's actually a negative gravitational field canceling out some of the positive Gravitational field of the Earth, but anyway, from that serendipitous experiment, they, he went on to develop this uh, gravity pulse generator, and he's able to send a, uh, develop a pulse strong enough to deflect a two-inch thick steel plate. In fact, he can blow a hole in a metal disc, if you would. And he says they don't like to operate the equipment in full power because sometimes they destroy the equipment. <laughs> but uh, so he's doing some work. Now, how is, uh, how is that creating a gravitational field? I don't know. We have a lot to learn.
0: We certainly do. I, I don't know if you are familiar with Dr. Theodore Loder. Um, he uh, is now working with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer on the Disclosure Project. And he had a paper, speaking of the AIAA, he had a paper called Outside the Box that uh, I believe this goes back to... Uh, Oh, uh, at least uh, 10 years, Um, and he described basically the history of the American anti-gravity technology uh, program, which I have always found fascinating, and we had him on as one of the interviewees earlier. Wow. You you might uh, look into his paper. It's uh, Dr. Theodore Loader, Outside the Box, and it's available to anyone uh, if they go to the Disclosure Project
1: i look that up. That sounds interesting.
0: Uh, it's a fascinating uh, story. Uh, so let's uh, just uh, theorize here. Um, you accept that uh, some of these devices have, uh, in fact, crashed or, or landed in some way, and, uh, and they presumably, over the years, have been uh, recovered uh, by various governments. Uh, would it not be logical that they would have been brought, some of them at least, to uh, our testing facilities so that we could figure out uh, what it was that uh, was – how they were – the propulsion worked?
1: Yes. Um, Now, they they may employ some technology, some manufacturing technology that we maybe only recently have uh, developed or maybe 50 years ago we didn't have. I'm talking about nanotechnology, for instance. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you know, if you if you had uh, if you had taken a stealth fighter and, and handed it to the Wright brothers, would they be able to build a stealth fighter? <laughs>
0: you know. Yes. <laughs> I think the answer is no. <laughs> right.
1: So but it's so only this, a
0: matter of time and money. would you agree with that?
1: Yes, I think it's a matter of uh, developing technology. Uh-huh. You know, the science probably could be understood, but the technology. Requires some development, but I have to believe after fifty years or sixty years, uh, because it's be such an important thing to develop that it's been developed. Yes. And uh, Um, you know, know,
0: a a question that I have to ask you. I'm very interested in your uh, position on this. Um, Let's just say that uh, the Roswell crash actually took place. That was in 1947. And let's just say that uh, it was recovered and taken to some secret laboratory somewhere. And uh, then maybe another one crashed in Kingman, Arizona in the early 50s and what have you. It strikes me that yeah, knowing engineer, uh, how engineers think, if they're given enough time and enough money, they'll continue to work on that technology until they understand how it does work. And they will, then, they will, then they will try to reproduce That technology using their own uh, current tools and devices now in uh, in the late 80s there was a very young um, I'd call him a propulsion engineer I don't know that he graduated engineering but that's what he was that's what he claimed to be doing his name was Bob Lazar and he came forward and said that he had been working in a laboratory in uh, Nevada, and he said that his assignment there was to retro-engineer uh, basically an um, extraterrestrial craft. And he said that uh, this uh, device contained a very small, uh, high-power generating reactor, and that it had, uh, which created an anti-gravity field, basically, a gravitational field, and it had three gravitational amplifiers. Now, you've been studying this for some time. I would just like to know what your thoughts about that are.
1: Well, uh, it's interesting that a lot of the photographs of UFOs show three semispherical projections at the bottom of uh, some of these bell-shaped craft. Yes, they do. Uh, So that makes sense. And plus, uh, you know, we know that if you three points define a plane, right? And if you Mm -hmm. were going to build yourself a proper stool, you'd have three legs on it, right? That's that's right. The fourth leg is redundant. But anyway, so... Three makes sense. Um, uh, I, I, I'm on the fence with Lazar, Lazar frankly. Uh, I I don't know what to think of him, whether he's a fraud or not. Uh, you know, the thing is, he, he could be for real, and the government could have expunged his records wherever mm-hmm. he worked and made him look like a fraud. I mean, that's certainly yes. possible. Yeah. And I'm thinking Stanton Friedman, about a year or so ago, wrote a, an article in uh, MUFON, I think, where he pretty much t- discredited Lazar. Yes. And and uh, Stanton carries a lot of weight with me. But it, you know, if I was a government and I wanted someone to really start uh, putting out disinformation, uh-huh. I would go to Stanton and say, "Look, here's a million dollars and all you got to do is this this and this. Cuz uh-huh. people are going to believe what you say." Right. Now, I'm not saying he's doing that. But, uh, you know, in this field, you've got to really be a little skeptical about about everything. And I'm a little skeptical about Lazar. I, huh. I really don't know what to think of him. I don't know if it's for real or not. Okay. And I, I'm, and then, as a matter of fact, I'm still kind of studying what he's saying to see if it really makes sense. Right. And I, his uh, element 115, you know, they, they, yeah. they have well, actually, I <laughs>
0: uh, they've actually made
1: a few atoms of element 115, but yeah, only a few.
0: Poem, I believe. <laughs> huh? It it decomposed uh, immediately. Yeah. Is that, isn't that right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, you know, he's saying something about firing. They they made these little miniature reactors, and they and they fire um, protons. I uh-huh. think he said or neutrons. I can't remember into element one fifteen, and and this somehow creates antiparticles that create the energy source. That type of thing, right? Uh, Maybe that's right. I don't know. I got to think about that.
0: Well, I, I realize that many people in the UFO community feel that uh, Bob Lazar is a is a total fraud. I have to uh, I have to be able to say this that uh, I had an opportunity to meet him 22 years ago. Uh, he was in his early 30s. Uh, he was uh, technically astute. He did not want to get the limelight. He wasn't interested in making himself famous. Apparently. And uh, he told me that if I were to go out on a Wednesday night uh, just outside of the uh, Area 51 gates uh, fence, uh, there was a good chance that beginning at about eight o'clock on, I might be able to see uh, one of these devices being tested. And, you know, uh, I took him up on that and uh, I I went out there with some uh, other uh, friends of mine. And after about uh, two or three visits to Area 51 on a very cold winter night, I saw these same devices uh, rising up uh, uh, behind uh, the Papoose Mountain and performing a number of very unusual maneuvers and you know based upon that uh i would i would say personally that he either knew somebody that did work there or he worked there himself because i don't know how otherwise he would have known that but anyway that's just sort of my uh my take on uh on the bob lazar story so i i well, think the jury is still out
1: it is but uh, that's uh you know if i were in your shoes i i would be on that side of the fence I'd be on his side of the fence I think <laughs> given that evidence I, I don't have well, that evidence so I've, yeah I've, but uh...
0: actually there are others that have come forward um, one that um, strikes me is um, Captain Bill youhouse who who is a uh, he's deceased now but uh, he uh, came out uh, uh, a few years ago and described the work that he did in the same facility that Bob Lazar claimed that he worked at, and his assignment was to create a flying disc simulator. And this was, he claimed he did this in the early 60s, believe it or not, and this device was to be used to train uh, American uh, Air Force uh, pilots and naval aviators as to how, how to actually maneuver and to fly these devices. Uh, That seems like a a pretty far-out claim, Uh, but he happens to be one of Dr. Stephen Greer's um, uh, witnesses as well. And if they, if someone wanted to look into that, they could go to once again the Disclosure Project. They could uh, uh, hear his uh, testimony on that. Bob, hold on uh, for a couple of minutes. Uh, We have a word from our uh, sponsor,
2: T.L. Callas are UFOs real is brought to you by the Total Novices Guidebooks. Would you like to know more about UFOs but are afraid to ask? Why do so many people still report UFO sightings? Why are they even here? A new book, The Total Novices Guide to UFOs, introduces the reader to the world of unidentified flying objects. You may have accepted the stories of weather balloons, hoaxes and optical illusions as the explanation of the UFO phenomenon, but just take a look at the Total Novices Guide to UFOs and your worldview will change. This large format book is printed in full colour with more than 500 pages of fascinating reports of UFO crashes, ET abductions crop circles and UFO related stories including the testimonies of 10 military officers who experienced UFO events and extraterrestrial beings the Total Novices Guide to UFOs also explains why they are here and who pilots them. The Total Novices Guide to UFOs is jam-packed with stories and reports from well-known UFO researchers such as Linda Moulton Howe, Timothy Good, Stephen Greer, Travis Walton, NASA astronauts Edgar Mitchell and Gordon Cooper the total novices guide to UFOs is available on the internet from the total novices guide Amazon.com or from your local bookseller
0: and now we're back we're with uh, Dr. Robert Farrell let's uh, uh, Let me ask you this um, You know we have all of these um, beings and in my opinion uh, they're coming there's not just one or two there are quite a few of them uh, what what is your what is your take on that from different uh, sources in other words
1: yeah uh, it would make sense if, if you can come to a logical conclusion that that one form of intelligent life could be visiting us because of the sheer numbers there's got to be many and mm-hmm. in fact there, there's got to be some type of uh, system, the keep order, I would think, you know, like the galactic federation concept mm-hmm. uh, might really be true. They, 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 our galaxy may be partitioned into various sectors, and, and each sector has a autonomous federation, and, uh, and someone's assigned control of the planet Earth. And I know you that, can come uh, visit. Anybody wants to come visit, they can, but uh, it's hands off. I mean, you know, that may be the rule.
0: Uh-huh. That uh, may be the case. Tell me, uh, in your opinion, do you believe that these uh, extraterrestrial or alien beings, call them whatever you want, uh, are benevolent, uh, malevolent, or something in between?
1: Uh, well, I think. There may be some here that don't have our best interest at heart, but um, I happen to believe uh, substantially uh, a lot of what uh, Zacharias Titchen said in his interpretation of the Sumerian tablets. Yes. Because a lot of the things that he wrote about in his 1976 book, that, that he said that this is what the Sumerians believed.
0: This is the 12th planet you're talking about. The 12th about. planet. That was uh-huh. his
1: first book. Right. Um, And a lot of the things he said have turned out, after maybe 10 years or so, to be proven by the scientific community. Not that they were setting out to prove what he said, but indirectly, they proved exactly what he said as far as how our solar system was constructed and as far as how humanity came about. And um, so I believe that, that Homo sapiens are actually a development of an alien race. They, they mm-hmm. actually genetically altered Homo erectus to create Homo sapiens. I believe that. And uh, so if, if they did, then I would count those people as, uh, or those beings as being benevolent. And in fact, they're probably watching over us. Uh, they have a vested interest in our progress. If they wanted to destroy us, they could have done it a long time ago.
0: Absolutely. I think that would be a very good topic to discuss on our next interview, if we can. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time now, but um, uh, I would like to pursue uh, the topics along uh, Sitchin's uh, uh, line of thought with you. I think sure. that'd be very uh, helpful. Now, uh, before we sign off, uh, could y- you were... Uh, you are the author of a book called "The Science Behind Alien Encounters," and would you uh, let us know how we can order your book?
1: Yes, uh, all my books, my, my, uh, my novels, the Alien Log series, and, and that book, uh, can, you can get them if, if it's the simplest thing is just go to my website, wwwalienlog. That's one word, Alienlog.com. And you, you can click on uh, purchasing the book, and it'll take you – you'll find that you can click on Amazon or click on Barnes & Noble. And it'll take you right to that site at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and you can select whether you want to buy an e-book or a paper book. Uh, or while you're at my site, you can download a, an order form. And if you want an autographed copy of any of those books, you just mail in the order form with a check, and and I'll send you a book.
0: Okay, terrific. Well, I look forward to uh, our next uh, opportunity for an interview. I want to thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure being here.
0: For those of you who would like to appear on this show, uh, please contact us at tkeller at dc.rr.com. That's T-K-E-L-L-E-R at dc.rr.com. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned. We hope this and future shows will be truly (laughs) mind-opening.